Hi, and welcome to EST. If you love the established church, this is the place to have conversations about why the established church matters, how to better serve her, and to hear stories every week about how God is using the church for His glory and our good. The show is hosted each week by Sam Rayner, the pastor of West Bradenton Baptist Church in Bradenton, Florida, Josh King, the pastor of Saxe's Church in Saxe, Texas, and me, Micah Fries, the pastor of Brainerd Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. We're glad you're here. Hi, and welcome back to this week's edition of EST. We're glad to talk to you this week about what it looks like to lead and love in the context of the established church. We're three pastors who love the church and love serving her, and we love the opportunity to help you think intentionally about how to lead well in the local church. And one of the things I've heard consistently via social media and others who have contacted us since we started this podcast is that it's been an encouragement to so many pastors who have not had a great resource in the established church directly focused on them. And so we're glad to be able to do that. We're looking forward to today's conversation. Today we're going to talk about this issue of benchmarks, goal setting. How do we determine what we ought to do at six months? What ought to be accomplished by two to three years? What do we hope to see accomplished in five years. And uh, and so we're going to walk through some of that. And we recognize that certainly every church is a little bit unique. And so there's no way we can say this is exactly what you should do in your church. But what we do want to do is provide some some basic ideas and and uh, and, and rubrics, templates that could be helpful as you think through how to set benchmarks, goals, and uh, move the church forward. So we're going to start with Sam. Sam is the, uh, the guru of all things statistical, and he's going to begin to help us think through intentionally how do we chart a course forward and what are some reasonable benchmarks for us to think about um, as we you know, kind of figure out this whole plan of leading the church well. So Sam, what do you think? I think no one has ever called me a guru of anything. So Shaman? Um, you were, Choc- you were, chocolate you, cereal. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. C- I, Cocoa Puffs. Cocoa, Cocoa Puffs. Puff King. You're Count the Cocoa Chocula. Puff King. <laughs> well, all right. So one of the things, if you are new at a church and you're looking for certain benchmarks uh, six months out, two to three years out, and then three to five years out, here's some things that, that I would walk you through. And, and the first one is this. I need you to ask this key question. Is there a crisis at your church or not? So th- that's the first key question. I mean, is there a raging fire? Is there something that you've got to deal with right now? And if not, then you can take the root of what I would call gradualism as opposed to you know, trying to enact change in, in big chunks. Um, and gradualism is always much better for people if, if you can do that. Um, so let's assume that there's no raging fire. There's no major crisis at your church. You know, the church isn't about to close the doors. You know, you, you don't have a heretic among you and, and stuff like that. Um, let, let's just assume it's a typical established church that's got its issues, got its baggage, and is doing some decent things too. Um, six months. Here's what if – I'm, if I'm the pastor, here, here's what I look at. Uh, three things. Um, and they're, I'm going to alliterate for you guys. Learn, love, and go for the low-hanging fruit. So learn the people. I mean, you, you can't lead them until you know them. <laughs> and, you know, that's one of the mo- most difficult things is that first sermon series you preach. Like, you, you've got to go at them hard because that's what you're mm-hmm. supposed to do in a sermon. Like, you don't even know who they are. Um, I've always found that awkward. I've always found that first sermon series to be just really awkward. I usually preach Philippians because it's like, well, there's nothing really controversial there. It's just about, you know— uh, partnering for the gospel and joy. So um, mm-hmm. once you get through that that first little bit, you know, learning learning to love your people, you're going to start seeing some low hanging fruit. So at the church where I am now, um, we have a lot of kids, just a lot of kids, and there's no playground. So I just ask the question: 
do we not have a playground? And everyone responded, oh, man, we've been needing to build that thing for years. We've got the money for it. Well, why aren't we building it? I don't know. I guess the pastors never just told us to go build the playground. So guess what we did? We built a really nice playground, and everyone's like, we love the parade playground. We've been talking about it for years. So that for us, mm-hmm. that was very low-hanging fruit. It was just something easy to do, and everyone rallied behind it. It was it was a wonderful thing. So that's six months. I mean, that's just learn, love, go after that low-hanging fruit, get you some victories under your belt, um, and, and try not to to cause a whole lot of dissension. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it, it, you know, just, just, just take it easy. You're going to be busy anyway trying to figure out who the people are. So – then you get out a little further, you know, you get past the honeymoon and you, there's always something that happens. And typically it just ends the honeymoon. It, it's like overnight. I mean, people go from like, you're awesome. You're awesome. This is amazing to like, oh, it's, hey, it's Sam. Um, you, you know, just something, a switch flips and, and then you're in, all of a sudden you're in year two and year three. Now, statistically, there's a, there's several studies out there that just, not just in the church, but in any, organiz, in, in any organization, year three is always tough. Because, you know, the people that thought you were something else have figured out that you're not that. So they're kind of leaving. You've still got a lot of people new coming into the church because they're catching the vision. But there's that tension of new people coming in, folks leaving. And, and, and so in year two to three, what I would say is if you can, pick one or two projects and just focus on them. Basically slow down. Um not don't be ramping up. I would slow down a little bit and just get through some of those tougher years as the church is beginning to transition. And by the end of year three, into year four, typically you're kind of like, oh, you're the pastor now. Mm-hmm. And then so in years three to five, you know, this depends on the place, but years three to five, you're really hitting your stride. Um, now you're the pastor, and you can really start enacting that major change that is needed because people trust you now. And you well, I think the. Yourself. I think the frustration that some of the the listeners are expressing is the two to three those those projects. What would you say you would look at first? Maybe they don't need to be changed, but the two to three projects that you just kind of kind of muddle through. Is there is there a, a hierarchy of something yeah. that? What do you okay, think? so if if you can find something that's a big need and also something that you can build a supporting coalition around, that's what I would do. So what's a big need in the church that you think that you can get enough people on your team to actually get it done? So don't go after the thing that's like the impossibility. You know, don't I wouldn't tackle that. I would go after the one or two problems that you you say, "Okay, I think this thing, I think I can get enough people to actually get this through." Now, you may not know until you get started, you know, for sure. This isn't low, we're not talking about low-hanging fruit. These aren't easy wins. But go after that that project that you think you know what the church has really been kind of talking about this, um, you know and that could be I mean that could be anything that could be something as big as bylaws, uh, it could be something as technical as you know a service time change, and and just really work on those things, focus on those things, prove to the people that you can lead them through them, and I would just pick two or three things in that time frame in that window. Show people that you can lead them so that by the time you get to hitting your stride as a leader, not only have you tackled low-hanging fruit, you've actually proven yourself over some challenges, and, and you'll find yourself with bigger coalitions uh, as you hit your stride in years three to five. What do you think, Micah? What are, you know, in those two to three years, what would be categories that you would first examine? Yeah, I, I would, so for me, 
my inclination is to think towards strategy. That's just that's that's my strong suit. It's my preference. I love spreadsheets, long range planning, Microsoft Excel. I get giddy over that sort of stuff. And so that may make me a little bit different. But because of that, I realize my weakness is not focusing intentionally on relationship development. So I want, again, this goes back to what we've talked about in multiple other shows. I want the church to know I love them. And so for me, like I'm here, I'm four months into my new pastorate right now. So I'm living this question, right? And um, I started with, yes, pretty significant um, strategic questions that we're having to answer. But, um, one of the first things I did is I went to my assistant and said, schedule one to two visits every week with the old, starting with the oldest scene, you know, some of the oldest senior adults in our church and let's work our way down. There's twofold issue there. One, I want, I want to get to know them. I, I want to know who these folks are who have been a part of our legacy for so long. I want to know how the church was built on their support. Two, I want the word that I'm visiting people to also go around. I want people to know that Micah cares and that, that um, I, listen, I mean, and our church is a little larger. It, it, I don't know if I'll ever get in and get to know, you know, half of our people personally, um, in, at least in their homes. But I'm going to work through as many as I possibly can. So one of making intentional steps to get in the homes of some key people, starting with our oldest members, to both show that I love and for that news to kind of get out. Two, I'm focusing intentionally on leadership development with key leaders across the church. Not that I'm necessarily developing new leaders, though I am I am doing that, but I'm focusing on leadership development. I'm focusing on pastoring a few key leaders across the congregation. I'm having them into my home. There's, for instance, I have uh, one or two key lay leaders in our church right now that are some of the more influential lay leaders. They're very wise. They're helpful to me. I have a standing lunch with them every month. And so I'm doing that to help build relationships. I bounce every idea off of them, and then I ask them for input. They give me ideas. We've got one thing that we're getting ready to initiate in the near future that was came directly out of one of these meetings, lunch meetings. In fact, I have one of them today. I'll be meeting with one of those guys today. So um, a, a lot of it for me is relational, very strategic relational uh, you know, development, but it's relational development. So I'm not just sort of haphazardly, just anybody who comes across, let's just go hang out, though there is some of that. But mostly it's here are the key people that I want to spend time with, invest in, and I want to get to know. Then I'm thinking through from a strategic perspective, do we have a disciple-making strategy? And I go back to, um, to Tom Rayner and Eric Geiger's book, Simple Church, such a helpful book. And I'm a big believer that every church can't be a simple church, but every church can be a simpler church. And, uh, and so I'm constantly asking questions because the, the established church, any organization that's been around for any length of time is going to add and not subtract. And I don't just mean members, I mean, programs, budget line items. So I'm constantly asking the question, what is our, what is our strategy? What's our means of accomplishing that strategy? And what are some things that we can begin to trim to narrow our focus to more effectively accomplish that? This goes to Sam's, what are some easy wins sort of thing. So I like. I know lots of people say you need a purpose statement and a vision statement and core values and you know, fine, blah blah blah, whatever. That's how I feel about that kind of stuff. That's exactly what I feel. I think you need two things. I think you need to know what you're doing and how you're getting there. That's so. To me, that's it. What's my vision? What's my strategy? You can call them vision and strategy if you want. For me, it's like a roadmap. What's my destination and what's the path I'm using to get to the destination? So at our church, for instance, at Brainerd, where I serve, they already had a strategy in place, and it's a great one. It's deliver, disciple, deploy. We deliver the word, we disciple the believer, we deploy the church. 
It's really simplistic. comes from the Simple Church basic idea. Uh, in the past, I've always used gospel community mission, but it's basically the same thing as deliver disciple to boys. So I didn't have to change that. I didn't have to get rid of that. I just said, this is great. We, we want to affirm this. This is a fantastic strategy. Now let's ask the question, how can we better design the church around that strategy? So for instance, like our staffing model, we're, we're, we're reshuffling our staffing model a little bit. We've got great staff, but we think we can do a better job of aligning the staff around deliver disciple deploy. Our budget model. We're asking every staff member when they put together budgets to ask the question, how does these budget requests that I'm putting in, how do they help fulfill, deliver, disciple, deploy? And um, when it comes to different ministries in the church, we just, we just knocked a ministry out that has happened previously, and, and, you know, but we just, we just took it off the table because there's no way we can find out where it fits within deliver, disciple, deploy. So, again, what I'm thinking of is what's our ultimate strategy? We want to make disciples. How do we do that? We deliver disciple deploy. And then what do we need to do to rearrange or reorient our world around that deliver disciple deploy? And I mean, just diligently, diligently isn't even a strong enough word, relentlessly do everything we do through the filter of that strategy. So that's, to me, those are the big things. You want to own your strategy, clarify and own your strategy in front of your people and make sure they're all on board, you know, with moving forward in that direction. Yeah, I would say that in the first six months, the relational thing is it. It's it's just build relationships as much as you can do that. Now, obviously, you're going to step into a situation in which there are some fires going. They've not had a pastor for a little while. Maybe the last pastor started a fire right before he left. We hear that a lot. Uh, he just, you know, he burned it down on the way out. Or maybe he didn't. And there's just some little things that you're going to have to deal with. I think what we're saying is in that first six months, you're going to have to make some decisions and you're going to have to lead just don't start any fires. Like, just put the fires out that you have. That's not the time to start the name change fire or to start the whether or not we affiliate with this group or that group fire. Don't do that in that time. Do the six months. But I would say in the two to three mark, um, that is the time. If, if, if I was just going to throw out one category, I think how the church makes decisions and who makes those decisions is the time that you've got to get a handle on that. So I don't know what your polity is. If you are single pastor-led or deacon structure or committees or elder, multi-elder, whatever it is, that's the time to tackle that. And I think within that two to three, after you've made the relationships, in the two to three year time is the time to adjust the bylaws to fit that strategy or – uh, to more say, look, hey, this is what our bylaw says. Are we doing that? So that if I was going to advise a guy, I would say first, build relationships in the six months, two to three years, tackle the who and why or who and how we make decisions and how we, we, we um, kind of address those things. Because in the three to five year, that's when you're really kind of starting some major fires. And you need to know, well, and the church needs to know, well, this is how we address those fires. This is how we go through those things. What do y'all yeah. push yeah, back knowing, on that? Knowing or? those power brokers is so key. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if I'm consulting a, a pastor or a church and I'm dealing with their leadership or I'm dealing with the, the lead pastor, I'm, I'm, I'm coaching him, and, and I ask the question, okay, who is making the decisions in your church? You Because know, somebody is. In every church, somebody is making the decisions. Somebody has that power. That can be a good person. It can be a bad person. It, it may be a wonderful thing that that person is making those decisions, but you need to know who mm-hmm. is making those decisions. And if you don't know the answer to that question, you are not ready to lead change. 
So I would right. just I would say in that time frame, that six months, two to three years, you really need to be discovering and understanding mm-hmm. who is making those decisions, and then they probably need to be very close to you mm-hmm. uh, if you're the lead pastor. And how many times have we seen guys who now it does happen and it happens well? I know Sam, you did that. You changed the that the structure, or you at least amended it there in the earlier stage. But most often, guys that come in and say. Hey, I know y'all have been committee-led for the last 120 years. We're we're elder-led tomorrow, and these two guys that I just met on the personnel, they're now elders. You know, how many times have we seen that kind of go up in flames and, and cause a lot of issues? And so I really wouldn't address just operate within the system that you inherited for a little a- while there. Absolutely. If we're, we're assuming a, the church is biblical. Um, mm-hmm. We're assuming, you know, we're, we're making those assumptions that, you know, it's it's a biblical model. But you know, and I would say this: when I walk into a room, you know, I walk into a business meeting. We still have quarterly business meetings at my church. If I don't know what's going to happen mm-hmm. at that business meeting, yeah, I have done a poor job of leading. Mm-hmm. So when I walk into when I walk into a meeting and there's going to be a big decision made, whether that's our church council, whether that's one of our committees, whether that's you know a, a business meeting with the whole church, if I don't have a really good idea then I haven't done my job. And so for the young guys that are out there, and I guess the older guys too, if you are trying to enact change from the pulpit, like I am just going to preach this and eventually everyone is going to grasp it, you are going to fail in most Mm -hmm. cases because you haven't done your homework of, okay, who are the decision makers? For whatever reason, people have ended up making decisions, good, bad, or ugly. You need to know that before you try to start enacting any sort of change. Yeah, some of the the I'm sorry, but some of the best advice I ever got came from you, Micah, right when I was starting, and you told me um, something about every church has big a real path, yeah, and the Political big mama. pastor, big mama. <laughs> share that, share that with everybody. I was actually going to mention that. That actually didn't come from me. That came from a pastoral ministries professor that I had in college, Doctor Doctor Windsor, a really intelligent man. I was actually going to mention something else he said. He used to say, boys, make sure the saddle's cinched on tight before you throw the spurs to the horse. And uh, his point was, make sure that you have sufficient relational, relational capacity before you go in trying to make any significant changes. Anything that's going to cause them you know, to buck, make sure that they know you love them and that they have legitimately understood the strategy behind what you're trying to do, which pastors are not real good about that. But understand that every church, you know, this was to Sam's point. This is a much more colloquial way of saying what Sam was saying. But every church has, um, you know, power brokers, people who are, have influence. And uh, Dr. Windsor used to say that every church has um, a big mama. And uh, she may be a woman, she may be a man, but every person has this person. Has, every church has this person. They may not actually even have a position in the church. But in the business meeting, especially if it's a smaller church, before anybody votes, they all turn and look at her to see how she votes. And, um, you know, you need to understand who that individual is. And certainly you don't want to play politics. You're not trying to cater to people just so you can get stuff done. But you would be unwise if you weren't aware of who those individuals are. You weren't aware of the things that mattered to them. And you were just sort of haphazard about running into situations without recognizing the influence that they carry over the congregation. And, you know, in the established church, I mean, we've all heard it before, right? I was here, preacher, before you got here, I'll be here after you leave. Well, there's a lot of truth to that in the majority of established churches. Pastors come and go, people stay. Don't diminish or mock longstanding influence from people who have kept that church open. You know, the first church I served as senior pastor um, was a very small church in the country in Missouri. And the person who carried that much influence happened to be my wife's grandmother. 
and uh, a sweet little lady. She's still there, still a faithful member. Uh, my, both my wife's grandmother and grandfather were, were kind of the members of the church. And for many years, if it wouldn't have been for them and maybe one or two other people, the doors of that church would have closed. That church wouldn't even have existed. And yet they had kept the doors open. And so, you know, uh, Miss Ona just carried a tremendous amount of influence. And it, it would be ridiculous for me to have tried to make decisions without making sure that she understood and, and that we tried to help her under you know help her know why did you call her big mama no 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 (laughs) she's ona to me she's she's grandma we still do christmas eve over at her house every other year you know uh, the other thing is how much i'm blessed by getting to know uh that person in our church we if i did not know her she won't she doesn't brag about who she is or or that sort of stuff she's just she's just quiet but she's incredibly influential in our church that person is the widow of um Walter Ayers, who was a just incredibly influential evangelist and just a, a massively um, popular guy, preached at the Southern Baptist Convention several times. You can YouTube him at First Baptist Dallas, and she's his widow, and this guy's massively influential, and I would have never known it because I just didn't know who she was. And the stories she tells are so enriching to me and helpful, and she she really likes me, and I really like her, so... I would encourage guys not to look at those people as threats to their power, but as blessings that God has given them to lead through. Can I tell you, I think the single most underrated element of pastoral leadership and quite possibly the single most influential element of pastoral leadership and to one of our topics that we're going to talk about at some point, what, what's the most important lesson you learned that seminary never taught you? And mm. I think this is it. The single most important thing for pastors, in my opinion, and, and this isn't going to sound spiritual at all, but it's people skills. And I'm just telling you, I'm stunned at how many pastors I know just don't have people skills. <coughs> Excuse me. Pardon me. The, the truth is the vast majority of church splits that I've seen and the vast majority of church partings between staff, pastors, and churches. Now, there have certainly been some over moral failure, certainly some over theological failure, certainly some over. But the majority or over personality conflict, in my experience. That's so true. People exactly. who can't yeah. function well together. And, mm-hmm. and pastors, if that's you, that's on us. I mean, we've got to be more gracious and loving than that. We've got to be able to love hard people. I mean, we can't call our church to reach hard people if we can't love hard people ourselves in the congregation. So, and I'm not saying it's always the pastor's fault, but I'm saying we do bear a, a significant amount of responsibility. And I, there's this thing that I like to call pastoral malpractice. If doctors can be guilty of malpractice, pastors can be guilty of malpractice. And it's amazing to me how many times I see pastoral malpractice and the pastors will then say, well, they didn't like my theology or, well, they didn't like this, you know, great mission emphasis that I was trying to, you know, when the truth of the matter is it's almost never that that's our excuse. It's often, if not regularly pastors being jerks and people being jerks. And so, you know, to me, this is one of those issues where we have to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. We have got to be a friend. We've got to be kind. We've got to be gracious. We can't lose our cool very quickly. Uh, We've got to be firm when it matters. But we've got to be people-focused. And uh, we've Mm got to develop our people skills. And if you don't have good people skills, if you're rough, um, go find someone who can help coach you in how how to have better people skills. The best pastors I know at the vast majority of the churches I know or have incredibly good people skills. And I'm telling you, your church will put up with funny strategy ideas. They'll put up with weak preaching. Um, if they know you love them and you, you graciously engage with the church well. 
Yeah, remind yourself, Pastor, that people are the job. Polity's not the job. Preaching's not the job. People are the job. Strategy's so, not the job. Strategy's not the job. So sit down and deal with people. And right. I, I'm amazed at how often pastors come. Now, I understand um, because of who I'm speaking with in different size churches and things like that, but in churches my size, the, the regular church and churches smaller, even tiny churches— the pastor comes out from a green room. He's not even dealing with the people. He's uh, he's rushing past people. He won't talk to people. He won't hold the door. And it's like, you don't even know the people. What are you doing? Me, like, that's the you. job. So in, our church is larger, and I have we have two venues. One of the venues I have, I could literally never, ever engage with people. We have a backstage. It's not a green room, but we have a backstage. I, I come, I'm in both services, and they're simultaneous, so I leave the one service, and I come through the back door. And the people never even would necessarily see me. I could just sit backstage and go right back on stage, preach, get off. But I'm telling you, and, and we're in a larger church, I would burn so many bridges unnecessarily and impede the ability that I have to lead well if I functioned in that manner. Mm-hmm. So for me, I'm in a bigger church, and I could hide out in, a, in It's not a green room, but I could hide out in something similar to that. So I don't think this is a church size issue. I mean, I think it's easier to get away with in a larger church, but I still don't think that justifies what I would refer to as pastoral malpractice. Mm-hmm. Love your people. But even if you were doing sure they that, know even them. if you were doing that, you're spending three, four meetings a week with the people. And oh. so you've got, you've got to spend some time oh. with the people, eat with them, Guys. play bocce ball, watch football, you know, spend time with people. Yesterday, bocce I had bocce eight, ball. I had. Eight. Did you say bocce ball? I love bocce ball. <laughs> if I had, <laughs> is that is that what so, you do with your people? Do you play bocce ball with your people? Hey, every Fourth of July, we're big big bocce Josh's ball. Josh's bald head looks like a bocce ball. But that's anyway, right. That's a whole, I'm Josh, I want, I'm I want your schedule. If you have four meetings a week with people, I want your. I had eight meetings yesterday. Just no, yesterday. I'm just talking about. What <laughs> I you want your schedule with your people, uh, with your lady. Well, uh, we know we know Josh is very scheduled. I mean, we, yeah, we know he's that. very disciplined. Uh, you you might be worse than me, Josh. Much I mean, I, much smaller church. You know, well, my my office is right by the worship space and mm-hmm. right by one of the main entrances, so I don't have a choice. I mean, I can't. There's, there's there's no hiding. There, there is always no hiding in my me church. when people knock on the door. They're like, "Can I come back there?" Yeah, <laughs> no, that's weird. No, that's I'm funny. Not, I'm not killing any calves back here. You can come <laughs> on back. It's the chickens you're guys... sacrificing that worries them. Yeah, it is. It is a phenomenon that I have noticed in multiple churches uh, that I've pastored. There is this invisible threshold into the pastor's office, mm-hmm. and people will not like come in. They will lean in. They will like <laughs> grasp the 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 edges of the door and just like get as far in as they can without actually stepping foot into the pastor's office. And I've often told people, I said, this is not the holy of holies. Right. This is the church's office. I just happen to be in here. You can come on in if you like. But that's a good point. So when I noticed people were doing that, even much – I had a 50-year-old sitting across from my desk, and he was just – he wouldn't ask the question that he was trying to ask. And I said, what's your deal? What are, what's wrong? And I said, just speak. And he said, I don't know. It just feels so weird because you're the pastor, and you're sitting behind that desk. So what I started doing was whenever possible, I meet with people at Starbucks or if they have to come to my office – we go out to the outer room out there, which I know doesn't help. But we go out to the outer room out there, and we meet around a table. In other words, he, of he, he meets with them in the court the of desk. Gentiles. He doesn't let them into yeah, the holy yeah, of holies. Yeah, in the Gentiles. So that's what he you said. don't allow anyone into your holy of holies. Now, I'll, I'll also say this. If it's a time where I know the guy's coming in because it's, it's a political play, I know the guy's trying to intimidate me, I know somebody's coming in to try to do things, I always meet with them behind my desk. Behind the I desk. I sit behind my desk, and you there are a few the times – 
there are a few times when <laughs> this is horrible to record and post online. But when somebody, um, you know, they're trying to play a, a, a power grab or something in the church, I'll have them come in and I'll say, have a seat. And they sit down and I stand behind my <laughs> desk while we're meeting. <laughs> I want them to. You're fully giving away feel. the goods, Josh. I'm no, full, I'll tell you this. And this is feel. true. Every church I've pastored as senior pastor, including the one I'm in now, I've had some sort of seating area in my office away from my desk. I've had yeah. a sofa. I've had a table where I can sit face-to-face evenly with people in a more casual, relaxed environment. And except for rare occasions when I'm already sitting at my desk and a staff member might walk in and just ask me a quick question, I just generally never meet with people while sitting at my desk. It's always sitting face-to-face and, uh, you know, at a table or on a sofa or something along those lines. See, that also reminds me. Somebody once told me if you're talking to a staff member and it's just a a casual conversation or it is a strategy conversation – have those meetings in their office. I generally it empowers do. Them. It empowers them. Yep, it lets right. them know they're in trouble. Now, if there are times where they're in trouble or they need to adjust something, have those meetings in your office. The problem is you know then as soon as you call them into your office, they know what's going on. And you've just know, reinforced which, the which really Holy of Holies me. idea. But I, <laughs> I'm a big believer in that. I walk to their offices when I need them. I don't call them and ask them to come to my office. I don't we need, go see I don't them. ever use them to come, yeah. Yep. And so I think that's helpful. Something to at least think through. What is our topic today? Our topic was setting goals at six <laughs> months. But Josh, it is time to talk to us about social media. Oh, so why don't you wrap us up and talk to us about social media? All right, my friends. Make sure that you are online um, following us. We, we we value, we need your promotion on Twitter, etc. We're at, at EST Church. Want to give a shout out to Joseph Polson, one of our most recent followers. He's a student pastor in some town in South Carolina. I don't know how to say it. Chura. Chira, you know, I'm from Saxe. Everybody butchers that, so I'm allowed to mess up your name. He's a student at Southeastern, one of the best seminaries in the world. And um, he Their recently students followed are fantastic, us. I might add, Their by the students, way. students, their professors, their presidents, everybody's fantastic over at Southeastern. So um, great uh, that you're following us, Joseph. Everybody else, give him a follow at Joseph Polson, P-O-L-S-O-N. What I want to mention is he's a student pastor. And so I know that there are a number of student pastors listening to us that will and want to feel called to pastor the established church. You are welcome here. We're so glad that you're here, part of the conversation. But again, rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, and we will catch you guys next week.